Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Jerry with the message. Last week, Derek played a game, and it looked like fun, so I thought I'd try. Um, he had someone come up and guess if something was a cloud formation or a Roman emperor. So today, we're not going to have someone come up, but we're going to just, as a group, play the game together. I'm going to read some quotes, and I want you to tell me if you think they're in the Bible or if they're not, Okay. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do you think that's in the Bible? It is in the Bible. That's Ecclesiastes 7, 8. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Do you think that's in the Bible? It's not. You're right. You guys are doing good. That's actually an 18th century poet, William Cowper, who wrote that. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Is that in the Bible? Yes. John 3, 8. Money is the root of evil. Is that in the Bible? It's not. I tricked you. Something very close to that is in the Bible. In 1 Timothy 6, 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I got you there. Some pretend to be rich, yet have nothing. Some pretend to be poor, yet have great wealth. Is that in the Bible? It's a hard one. It is. Proverbs 13, 7. To thine own self be true. Is that in the Bible? Definitely no. (laughs) That's William Shakespeare, Hamlet. So you probably have heard it. The last one, God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's actually one of Aesop's fables from around 600 BC. And then Ben Franklin had an almanac that he circulated yearly, and he made it even more famous. And that's where we're going to land today. This thing that I think a lot of people do think is biblical, that God helps those who help themselves. And as we think about how we are going to be people in the world who join with God in what he's doing and serving the marginalized, I think this sort of thought is pretty ingrained in us. And the way we think, and if we're going to help someone or not, I think sometimes we weigh, well, but are they really doing enough? Actually, a variation of this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is found in a religious book, but not in the Bible. It's actually found in the Quran, where it says, Indeed, Allah, which is the God of Islam, will not change the conditions of a population until they change what is in themselves. The five pillars of Islam are very heavily focused on us fixing ourselves before God, Allah. But Christianity is different. Central to following Jesus is the idea and the belief that God is actually the one who changes us and actually changes everything that's broken in the world, that it's not up to us to change all the things, that God is bringing his kingdom to earth 
and making things right. And because of that, I think the sentiment, God helps those who help themselves, is not only extra biblical, not in the Bible, I think it's dangerous to us to believe in this way. I'm calling this message, God helps those who ask for his help. We pray for me, or with me, and for me. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We thank you that you're present and that you've been present with us today. God, help us to dial down and sense you, and I pray that, that you would give me your words, that anything that's not of you would just fall. Touch people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we think about the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, I think to us, there's something in us that seems really right about that because we're so steeped in American culture and this idea of the American dream, which is if you work really, really hard, you will get what you want. That if we put in all of our really hard work, put in long hours and spend money and give things up, that we will have the prosperity that we're looking for. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's true that if you work really hard, we hear of athletes who work for hours and hours on their layups and their jump shots and all the things that athletes do, and it pays off. But sometimes that's not true. Sometimes we can work really, really hard, and the thing that we're actually looking for eludes us. How many of us know people who eat really healthy and work out and maybe even take supplements but still have health issues? Or people who follow God and are obedient to what he says, give things up for him and follow him wherever they'll ask, he asks them to go, take their kids to church, teach their kids about church or about God, and then their kids sort of go off the rails and don't follow God or people who are doing every single thing they know how to do to save their business or their marriage, but it's still falling apart at the seams. I think when we find ourselves in situations like that or we're met with situations like that, we're sort of met with the truth that everything in our lives is not necessarily in our control. That no matter how hard we work, there are things that we really actually don't have any control over that can affect us. For instance, in our past, there are things that were done to you or around you that have affected the way you are, that have affected you as a person that you couldn't control, that you couldn't help. There are things in your future that you don't even know that what's coming, sorrows and joys. We don't even know what's ahead of us. There are things in our present that we wish we had more control over, but we really can't fix. And for some of us, maybe that's what keeps you up at night. The fact that you know that there are some things that you can't fix, that are out of your control. But what I want to tell you is that it's not completely up to you. That actually God is in control. We were never meant to be in control of everything, and God wants to help. All of the places in our lives, whether they're even a result of things that happened in the past, they're a part of our present, or they're coming in our future, 
God wants to touch those things, help us, and make those things right. And today, I hope you'll see that God doesn't help those who help themselves, that God helps those who ask for his help. And so as we think about how we are supposed to be in the world as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to look at what Jesus says. Jesus came to earth to bring the kingdom of God here to make things right in the world, to make us right with God. But he also came to give us an example to show us how we can live, that we can look back to a tangible example of how Jesus lived and say, okay, well, that's my model and I can do it that way. So we have to look back and see what Jesus says. And so I think as we deal with this misconception of God helps those who help themselves, I see it as really dangerous to us in two ways in specific. And in the book of Luke, Jesus tells a parable, which I think illustrates both of those ways really, really well. So we're going to look today at Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Feel free to turn there if you'd like. And it's on the screen. And really the entirety of Luke chapter 18 talks about the kingdom of God and the kind of people that get the eternal life that Jesus offers, the good life. And so I would recommend as you're thinking about how to be engaged in the world, reading all of chapter 18, it's really, really good around this topic. But today we're going to just look at verses 10 through 14, and it says, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so the first reason that I think God helps those who help themselves is difficult and dangerous is because it makes us judgmental. It implies that those who have not, who don't have the blessing of God, must not be working hard enough to get it, for God to bless them. They must not be doing their part, or at least they're not working as hard as I am, right? Look at verse 11 the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. The Pharisee in the parable practically thanks God that God made him better than others. And he puts people in categories, sort of identifies them by their sin, even the tax collector, who we have no reason to believe that the tax collector sinned, but because of his job, the Pharisee assumes a list of things about him. He must be outside the will of God since he's a tax collector. And then I, I think it sort of begs the question, do we categorize people and identify them by them, 
their sin. People that find themselves outside, as far as we can imagine, the blessing of God, do we decide that it's probably because of this thing that we know about them? Do we take one thing that we know about someone and then create a list of things that they must also be because of this one thing that we know about them? So maybe we do. Maybe we categorize people by their sin. Drug addicts or alcoholics, or maybe not even by their sin, but by the thing that puts them outside of majority society. Maybe ethnic differences, blacks, Latinos, maybe educational differences, college dropouts. So as we talk about these things, do we take one thing and then decide a whole list of things about what that person might be, like the Pharisee did with the tax collector? Do we put people in categories? This is something that happens very easy for us because our brains are made to make categories because it helps us to know how to participate with the world if we have a category of a thing. So whenever we meet a new experience or a new person, we really want to put it in a box so that we know how to interact with it. So that's why it's so easy for us to do this, but it's really difficult for us to love people when we do that. And think even about popular politics right now. If I know one thing about you and what you believe about an issue or a person, then I create a long list of what that must also mean about you, right? We do this very easily. We take something different about something, somebody and make a whole identity out of it. And really, we assume things that are not necessarily true. And we do what the Pharisee we see here does, and that's othering people making people separate from us. We are in this category, you are in this other category. And when we do that, it's really hard for us to see people clearly and to love them. We make categories of people who are not doing enough, so God must not be helping them. And then it makes it very difficult for us to help them. We are also become hesitant to help them. If God only helps those who help themselves and God is not helping them, then why would I help them if God is not? The second reason that I think God helps those who help themselves is dangerous is because it makes us self-reliant and not God-reliant. If you notice, the Pharisee's prayer is focused on himself. It's a two-sentence prayer, and at least four times he brings the attention to himself. Verse 11 and 12 say, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And what you may not know, if you don't have some historical context, is that like Derek told us last week, fasting was only required once a year by the Old Testament law on the Day of Atonement when the high priest made sacrifices for the sins of the people. So that was the, the requirement that you would fast once a year. But this guy saying, I do it twice a week. I fast twice a week, God. And also tithing, some Pharisees would go so far as to tithe part of their food 
and even spices that they got. The food that they got would be tithed on already by the ones who produced the food, but they would go so far as to say, well, I'm going to also tithe the food that I'm about to eat and the spices that I'm about to eat. So what you might not catch is that this Pharisee is telling God, God, I work hard. I do everything that I'm, that I'm requested to do by the law, and even more, way more than what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm kind of entitled to your favor. God, this is all the stuff I do, and God knows that that's not required. So I'm entitled to your favor. And so I work hard, and then God blesses me for working hard. This blessing, this standing, this position and comfort that I have, I have it because I've done all the things to secure it. And I sort of have earned it. And what I want to tell you is if we approach God like that, as independent people who are thankful that God has made us comfortable or able to take care of ourselves, is that you will never experience the blessing of God. If you never put yourself in a position to need God, you will never experience his goodness. Self-reliance breeds pride and really anxiety. Because we know, like I talked about at the beginning, that not everything is in our control. And so if we think we have to be independent, self-made people and take care of everything on our own, there's this thing that plays in the back of our mind that knows, well, but things could happen that you actually can't control. And that just breeds this anxiety in us. What if I don't have enough? What if I can't do enough? What if all the hard work that I'm doing actually is not enough? When God designed humans in the very beginning, he designed them not to be, inde not to be independent, but to be dependent. That in the very design of human makeup, we are designed to be dependent on God, not self-sufficient, not independent, but dependent on him. The Pharisee's prayer is perfectly juxtaposed with the tax collector's prayer. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector's prayer, rather than being focused on what he could do for God, like the Pharisees, was focused on what God could do for him. He came needing God. And really, tax collectors generally had a lot of money, so he probably was pretty well off. But he came to God asking for what God could give him. And if you think back, the Pharisee didn't even ask for anything because he thought he had it all. He thought it was secured. He told God all the things that assured him the thing that he was looking for, the blessing. He didn't even ask. 
God for blessing because he thought he had it. He thought that he had secured it himself. The very next section of scripture in Luke, right after this part, this parable, is when the children are coming to Jesus and people are telling the children, leave Jesus alone, like he can't be bothered with you. And Jesus says in Luke 18, uh, verses 16 through 17, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Luke very clearly is trying to show us what kind of person gets the eternal life that Jesus offers. One of the defining characteristics of children is that they're dependent, right? On our taxes, we mark them as dependents. We identify them as dependent. If we want to be people who experience the goodness and generosity of life that God offers, we need to be dependent on him for that. I don't mean that we don't do good work. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we know that the goodness that we experience is not because of our good work. It's because of the goodness of God and that every good thing that we have comes from him. And the more we know that, the more we're able to help people as Jesus did, as he urges us to, because we know that all good things come from God. And so we can give them away to other people. We don't have to take ownership and be so closed-handed. We can give it away because we know how good God is. He'll give us more. He'll give us what we need, and we can give it away as people ask. And so even as I say this, I can almost hear the questions, right? So what if the person who's asking me for help is lazy? What if the person asking me for help is dangerous? What if the person asking me for help doesn't actually need it or will use the resources for something futile? What if when I really needed help, no one helped me? What if I help this person and give my resources and then later I'm going to have a need and I won't have what I need? We have lots of questions about that. And honestly, I don't think those questions are bad. But what I think they are is secondary to the will of God. God welcomes our questions, but we can't be asking God questions before we ask him what he wants us to do has to be secondary. And that's why it's so important for us to be connected with God. It's why it's so important for us to know the character of God, to be reading scripture, to be in a community, in a life group with people who are following Jesus with us, to be on a service team, because all of these things form us into the kind of people who know the character of God and who can learn to see him working who can learn to hear him in our hearts and in our minds. We need to be people who know God because he's not asking everyone to do everything. There's a lot of need in the world. 
And we are called and invited into his work of bringing his kingdom to earth, and that means justice for all. God wants to touch all the places of injustice, but he's not calling you to touch all the places of injustice, some of them. And if we want to know where, we need to be connected to God to experience and respond to his invitation. And as we can begin to do that, as we see God moving and we can sense where he's stirring us, we can take action in his mission. Not create our own thing, but do what he's already doing. God helps those who ask for his help. Doesn't require the proper papers. Doesn't require a good education. Doesn't even require a plan moving forward. God meets those who will humble themselves and ask. And this is what we mean when we say that we want to be people who transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. Because God is bringing his kingdom here. And we want to be people who can be so ready, so close to the spirit of God, so in tune with what God's doing that we can see what he's doing in the world around us. And we can join his invitation and bring his kingdom there. Today, specifically with our resources and helping those in need, I think God is calling us to bring his kingdom in a powerful way. So I'll invite the worship team to come up. And as I think about how we're being called to bring God's kingdom here to earth through helping the marginalized, I think there are two barriers that get in the way. I think the first one is judgment. And I think that if we're really honest with ourselves, we create categories of people. And I think that's something that's pretty easy for us to do. But I think it's also something that gets in the way of us being able to do what God's doing. Because what if God's calling you to help someone who fits into a category that you're judging? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.